Well, welcome to our NETS training, uh, part four. And we're going to pick up and we're going to talk about um, when did Judas hang himself in light of looking at the timing in Scripture and in light of um, how Scripture builds upon itself. As an example, we talked about the promise which was given to the woman in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that there was a promise coming, and she interpreted her first pregnancy to indicate the promised seed was coming, but it turned out to be Cain. So, in other words, the prophecy was true, but there was more time involved in it coming to pass than she originally thought. And we have to look in terms of timing. Really, in terms of any prophecy, timing is one of the most difficult things to understand. Sometimes we think we, we know clearly what the prophetic word is saying in, in light of the timing of it. But it may not be as clear as we understand it to be. Now here in Matthew 27, we read the record again from verses 3 through 5. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went out and hanged himself. So to just read this, it appears that those events happened simultaneously, one right after the other. It doesn't indicate whether or not there's any time involved between those events. I would like to look at some other examples in Scripture and show you some examples of how we need to be very careful when we're dividing the time in light of Scripture. In Luke chapter 4, uh, beginning in 16, we have the case where Jesus had come out of the wilderness. He'd gone into Capernaum, into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he took the book of Isaiah. Um, excuse me, he went to Nazareth and, and says where he had been brought up in verse 16. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. In reality, this was a scroll, and it was continuous. And he had to be familiar with the, with the entire book of Isaiah so that he knew where he was in light of the other words which were written, because there were no defining verses or chapters written. It was just continuous, going from right to left. And uh, it would be in blocks, and it, it would go from right to left and down the page, and then it would skip to the next section. And then you would unroll that scroll as you read, or as you were searching for another passage to read. Showing respect for the scriptures, they would stand up to show respect for the Word of God and read from it standing. Any comments that would be made then would be made after the scroll was closed and they would sit down so that you would be very clear as to the differentiation between what was coming out of the Holy Scriptures and what was being, coming out of the individual speaking commentary on the Scriptures. Well, he found the place where it was written in verse 18. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, he closed the scroll, and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. 
And the eyes of all those who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So he was saying very clearly, what I've just read has been fulfilled today. So he was dividing the time very closely, saying, this is it right now. That is talking about this time. Now let's go back to what he was reading. In our Bibles, it corresponds to Isaiah 61, beginning in verse 1. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's what he read. However, in Isaiah, it continues. And the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified, and they shall rebuild the old ruins, and they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolation of many generations. All those are parts of the attributes and the calling of the Messiah. Every bit of that that we just read. However, when Jesus read it on that day in Nazareth, he stopped after to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In other words, he was able to tell what was happening and, and coming to conclusion at that point and what was still future. Otherwise, he could have read that whole thing. It would have been fine. But he could never have said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Had he read on, he would not have been able to say that. He was able to tell even though there's no indication in Isaiah 61, he was able to tell that between the acceptable year of the Lord, comma, and the day of vengeance of our God, he, he was able to understand that there was a time period involved there. They didn't occur simultaneously. One didn't happen right connected to the other. This is very important because there's no indication that anybody else had made this distinction. In fact, all the disciples continually were asking him, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Is it time? Is it time for the vengeance? They had swords. They were ready for the vengeance. They were prepared for a takeover. Because everyone that read this understood this to mean that when he came to proclaim the acceptable year, they were going to go right into the vengeance. Because there's no reason not to believe that. However... It can be stopped at any point in reading and be accurate. And that's what Jesus did. He read to that point and stopped the reading and made a con. He sat down so they would know that this was not in Scripture. And then he said, this day is this fulfilled. Now, it's in our Bible as Scripture. And we believe that it is holy Word of God. Now, I'll give you another example, which goes along with this. In Daniel chapter 9. Daniel says, Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God, for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me 
and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Daniel's the only person in Scripture called greatly beloved. He's called a number of different things, highly favored, well known in, the, in, in God's court. It's interesting that of all the men of God that are written about more than just a little in Scripture, Daniel's the only one we don't have any recorded incident of anything he did wrong. There's no sin recorded that Daniel ever committed. Now we know he committed sins, and he's even saying here that I was confessing my sins and the sins of my father. But I think there's a key there to why there's nothing recorded. Because Daniel was in the habit of daily confessing his sins and not allowing them to build up, not allowing them to go unattended. And perhaps that's why he was highly favored in heaven. Well, at any rate, Gabriel came to him to explain to him, give him an answer to his prayer. And he says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Now, we have to understand the context of what we're looking at. We also need to understand to whom things are written. So who is this written about, this section? It says... I want you to understand some things for your people and for your holy city. So what is the subject now? Everything we read in this context is going to be concerning, not the rest of the world, but concerning the holy city, which is Jerusalem. Not the rest of the peoples of the world, but his people. Right? The people of Daniel, which were the Jews. So, we know that whatever's said now is concerning them and their capital. It says, To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring an in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy. So all these things are going to happen. It's going to be tied with the Messiah. All these are attributes of what the Messiah is going to accomplish. Know, therefore, verse 25, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, the anointed one is what Messiah means. The Messiah, the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. In other words, 69 weeks. Now a week in Hebrew means seven. So it just simply means an accumulation of seven of something. We call uh, calendar week seven days. That's where we get that understanding from. But a week can be any accounting of seven things. In this case, we're talking about seven years. So when it talks about 69 weeks, it's talking about 483 years is what it adds up to. He started off at verse 24 by talking about 70 weeks are determined for your people. So that's 490 years. But now he begins to break it down. He starts off by saying there's 490 years declared for your people and their city. But he breaks it down here. There shall be 62 weeks, which is 480 years, from the going forth of the command to restore Jerusalem, which had not happened yet. 
And it says, The street shall be built again, and the wall, and even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood, and till the end of the war, desolations are determined. And I want you to understand, it says there's going to be 69 weeks, 483 years, and the Messiah is going to come, but then he's going to get cut off at that point. And then there's going to be another prince that comes up, and there's going to be a coming into this holy city, and they're going to destroy the holy city. And then it continues, and it says, this person that came in says that he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, and it goes on, talks about the middle of the week, in other words, the middle of those seven years, which will be three and a half years, right in the middle of that week. But it goes on and continues. Now, from reading this, you cannot see that there's any break between the 69th week and the 70th week. In other words, you can't see that there's any change in the process after, 200, after 483 years, and that continues on to 490, which is the completion. But we know historically that something extremely significant happened right in the middle of that sentence. From the time when he was cut off, and all those things happened to the city where it was destroyed again, the rest of this has not continued. The Old Testament year was not 365 days like we have, but 360 days. So, with a 360-day year, when you multiply that times 483 years, and you can go back specifically into history, into, into the records in Persia, in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verses 1 through 8, it discusses when... King Artixus made the declaration that the angel prophesied of here. Shortly after that angel's visit, the king of Persia made a declaration to reestablish Jerusalem and to rebuild Jerusalem. And we know from history that that declaration went out on the corresponding dates to our calendar of March 14th, 445 B.C., if you add 483 years, the 360-day Hebrew years, if you'll add 483 years from that date, you will come up with the date of April 6, 32 A.D., which would correspond then to the day that Jesus Christ rode the colt into Jerusalem when they said, Hail the King of Kings. When they said, Hosanna to the King of Kings, the King of the Jews. So therefore, that word which the angel spoke was very true. Having an understanding of the book of Daniel, it would be logical that anyone that would read this would think that as soon as the Messiah comes in, something's going to happen significant. There's going to be a battle. He's going to get cut off. But we know he comes back. We know things happen. There's going to have to be a battle of some kind to reestablish. But what they did not could not tell at that time was when Jesus went into Jerusalem, he had been rejected by his people. Because of that rejection, God chose to take this time period of 70 weeks and stop the clock 
And so he stopped the clock at that point in that sentence when Messiah was coming. From the time he was cut off, everything after that, the destruction of Jerusalem and so on happened. But the thing is, uh, this, this other ruler that was going to rise up has not risen up yet. And so therefore, the rest of what it said in that verse 27 is still future. Those seven years, that one week that it spoke of, is still left. Otherwise, the end of the prophecies and all those things would have occurred already back in 39 A.D., they didn't occur in 39 A.D. So you either have to believe that Daniel was a false prophet, didn't get the true understanding, even though some of the prophecies came to pass, the rest didn't. Or you have to look at it in a different light. And just like Jesus did, you have to be able to say something changed here that changed the timing. Because this is the difference. This prophecy is only for Daniel's people and his holy city. Something happened when the Jews rejected their Messiah. When they rejected their Messiah, the salvation became available to the Gentiles. Although it took a while for the Gentiles to really see this clearly and for it to be preached to the Gentiles clearly, it became available from that point forward when they rejected him. However, we know from this word and from others that there's a time coming when they will again recognize Jesus was Messiah and the Jews will receive Jesus Christ as their Messiah. At that point in time, the timing of this prophecy will begin again. And it will be for Daniel's people and his holy city. These things will, will continue as the prophecies say but not until that time. Until that time occurs, we are in a period of grace. We are in a period of time when everything that's future is being held in abeyance. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, I want you to look at what it says, because we're talking about when Judas hung himself, so that we can see an example of the timing and how when one scripture builds up, Upon another, we have to understand all of them in light of the same event. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, and then by the twelve. Now, who were the twelve? Jesus had 12 disciples. In Luke chapter 6, verse 13, it tells who those 12 disciples were. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother. James and John, Philip and Bartholomew. Matthew and Thomas. James the son of Alphaeus and Simon called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. Now, so there are twelve that were called the twelve. They were taken from his many disciples, and they were 
named apostles. They also are sometimes called the twelve disciples as opposed to the many disciples. But they are always called the twelve. There's only twelve that Jesus chose. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 5, He was seen by Peter and the twelve. He was seen first by Peter, as we see in Scripture, and then at another time by all twelve. Now, let's look at how this story builds up. In Luke 24, there's two men leaving Jerusalem and they're going to Emmaus. In verse 1 it says, Now on the first day of the week. So this is the first day of the week. They're leaving Jerusalem. It's the day after Sabbath. They're leaving Jerusalem. And Jesus shows up and walks with them. But they didn't recognize it as Jesus, if you'll remember the story. And it continues on. They, once they recognized it was Jesus, in verse 29, it says, But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it's towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went to stay with them. When they asked him to bless the, the bread, once he blessed that bread, they recognized it was Jesus, and he, dis, he disappeared out of their midst. Then immediately they rose up, and returned to Jerusalem. And then when they got there, what did they find? In verse 33, And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together. So the two men on the first day of the week left. Jesus walked with them. At a certain point at the dinner table, he revealed himself to them at evening. They went back to Jerusalem. They came into the, the room where they were staying, and they spoke to the eleven that were there. And they said, in verse 36, Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. So they just seen him. They came back to Jerusalem. They're telling them that they just seen him. They're speaking to the eleven. And then Jesus shows up in their midst and says, Peace. So we've got eleven. We don't have twelve. But let's look in John. This corresponds to the record we just read in Luke 24. It says, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, so we know it's the same day, right after the resurrection, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. So it's the same, it's recording the same incident, but in another gospel. Same day, same incident, Jesus shows up, says, peace be with you. But let's continue in verse 24. Who is missing? If there was only 11. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So you have Jesus walking down the road with the two disciples. They run back and say they saw Jesus. They tell the 11 that they just saw Jesus. Jesus shows up in the midst of them the disciples, including the eleven, and says, Peace be unto you. Now, we don't know which one is missing. We assume it's Judas because we think he's gone out and hung himself immediately after he cast down his 30 pieces of silver. But here when we read in John, when we have to understand this is the same exact record, the same exact day, so it's got to be the identical occurrence of what happened. But in this record, it clearly says that Thomas was not there. So if we have eleven... In Luke, and at the same incident in John is listed, it doesn't say there's 11, but it says there's one missing, and it says it's Thomas. 
Verse 26, And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, and the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be to you. And then you know what happened. He held out his hands. He said, Thomas, you didn't believe. You said you wouldn't believe unless you see. So, go ahead and put your hand in my side. Put your hand, your, your fingers in, in the holes in my hands. And Thomas fell down before him and said, My Lord, my God. Because he saw, and he, the Lord had said, Blessed are those that do not see and yet believe. That was still to come. So we have the disciples in the upper room. The twelve, uh, one of the twelve is missing in, John, in Luke. In John, it clearly says it's Thomas. Eight days later, it says the disciples are there, and Thomas is there. And Jesus shows up again. This time, Thomas sees. This is where he got his nickname, Doubting Thomas, because he doubted. In reality, they all doubted. Now look at Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Now, it says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Now, Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke is the only Gentile to write what we have in Scripture. He wrote the book of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. So when he's writing, saying, O Theophilus, I've written a former account, he's talking about the book of Luke. Now he's writing the book of Acts. Now he says, The former book was written until the day which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, if you'll look at the book of Luke, it ends with the ascension. And the book of Acts begins with the ascension. It picks up where the book of Luke ended. But here's what he says. Until that day when he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Who were the apostles whom he had chosen? I just read all 12 of their names. Jesus only ever chose 12 apostles. Luke is saying that he gave, after he raised from the dead, he gave instructions to his 12 apostles. In one record we see that there's 11 of the 12 there. In another record we see the one that was missing was Thomas. Verse 3, to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days. It didn't say, through the Holy Spirit, give commandments to the apostles whom he'd chosen with the exception of one. It didn't say he showed himself to 11 of the 12 for 40 days. It says he showed himself to the apostles whom he had chosen. We read the names Luke had recorded the names of all 12 in his former treaties that he's referring to. And speaking the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Who did he command? The apostles whom he had chosen. He told them, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. I've already told you about him. I said, when he comes... He's going to teach you everything that I, you know, all the truth. He's going to come and be your teacher. All things that I've spoken to you, he's going to bring those back to your mind. All the things that Jesus had previously said about the teacher, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the paraclete. He was saying, go wait in Jerusalem and that Holy Spirit will come. Now, let's look in verse 9. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched. So, get it in your mind. Here, they're on the... Mount of Olives, 
there's many disciples, but specifically it says, the apostles which he's chosen are there. He gives them instructions clearly to the apostles whom he has chosen, saying, go to Jerusalem, don't leave, the, the Holy Spirit is coming. Now it says, while they watched, he was taken up in a cloud and received out of their sight. And while they looked, he went up. And behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who said, now look at this, men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing into heaven? Now, at that list of the twelve apostles, eleven were Galileans, one was from Judah. Judas Iscariot, he was from Keroth, which is, was his town. Judas Iscariot was Judas from Keroth. Of the twelve disciples, of the twelve apostles, he was the only one that was not a Galilean. So here, in verse 2, it says, he was giving commandments to the apostles whom he'd chosen. There were twelve of them. He told them to go to Jerusalem and wait. While they watched, he was taken up. At that point, two men show up and say, not apostles of God, but men of Galilee, making a distinction that one is missing. When did Jesus, Judas go and hang himself? He was with Jesus, it says, for 40 days. Jesus was witnessing to his 12 apostles about what was to come. When he saw him raise into heaven, he left. And the angel said, men of Galilee. There were 11 men of Galilee. Why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus will so come. And, verse 12, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which was near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Listen, who was there? Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Only eleven are listed. And these continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. And in those days, in what days? The days between when Jesus left and when the Holy Spirit came. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, although the number of the names was about 120, and said, Men and brethren, the scripture has to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst upon in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. When you hang yourself with a rope, that doesn't happen. But as we've seen, if you'll hang yourself on some kind of sword or pike or peg, that happens. And this is what he's saying happened to Judas. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem so that the field is called, in their own language, Akeldamia, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. Why would Peter wait till Jesus was gone to ask for a replacement for Judas unless Judas was still there? 
Judas did not need to be replaced until he left, until he killed himself. And so we see that he actually was with the twelve, saw the resurrected Christ, heard all the same things that the other eleven heard, watched the Lord ascend into heaven, and then could not bear what he'd done and killed himself. And because he killed himself then, while they were in Jerusalem waiting for the promise, Peter stood up and said, we need to replace Judas. He didn't need to be replaced before he killed himself. So now, in Matthew 27, he went, he betrayed Jesus in verse 3. He was remorseful. He went back and threw the pieces of silver down at the priest's and the elders' feet, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is it to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the, the silver in the temple, and he went and hanged himself. In reality, from the end to the actual occurrence was at least 43 days. And yet, that scripture is perfectly accurate. He did those things and he went and hung himself. There's no indication of time and how long it took for him to go do that. From other scriptures, we can see how the Word of God has given us keys to understanding important pieces of the puzzle. And that Judas did go out and hang himself, but he did not do it immediately. But in reality, we see through this record and an understanding of that which was written in Scripture, of the tremendous mercy and forgiveness of God. Because the mercy of God was so great that even the great betrayer of the Messiah was given ample opportunity to repent and to receive salvation. He may have been remorseful, but he was not repentant. Romans eight thirty eight says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus died for the sinner. He gave his life for us. He gave his life so that we would not be separated from God. So therefore, he's not going to allow anything to separate us from him. No created thing. But the one thing that's absent from Paul's list is that which is past. Because as we see with Judas, even with the tremendous forgiveness of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, who spent the same amount of time with Judas as he did with the other eleven, who offered to them the same promise, Judas, because he could not get over what he had done in the past, went out and killed himself. Sometimes that's the only thing that separates us from God. Is no matter what you have done, if you cannot receive the forgiveness of the Lord, then you will be separated from Him. And it may be just as deadly for you as it was for Judas. Because His mercy is so great that there's nothing that you can do that His blood cannot cleanse you from the effects of. Being remorseful will not complete the process. There is something called godly sorrow. It's very important part of the process. 
But repentance means to go receive your forgiveness and go and sin no more. It means to turn from what you've done, but you have to receive the forgiveness. You do not receive the forgiveness because of your acts, but you receive the forgiveness because of His acts. You do not receive the forgiveness because your blood is shed, as we see with Judas, but you receive the forgiveness because His blood was shed. When Judas killed himself, he only made it an eternal mistake. If Jesus extended forgiveness to his betrayer, certainly it's available to you and to I. If we will not look back, but bring our past to him, lay our past at his feet, and say, Lord, forgive me, and receive the forgiveness in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the foot of the cross, where his blood was shed, is where our forgiveness is. Once having received that forgiveness, what separates us from him is looking back into the things which he has always wa already washed clean. His mercy is that great. Now, in light of this understanding of how the, the scriptures many times will put events in order but not separate them according to years and times and seasons. You can understand why in Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, when Jesus was on the Mount of the Ascension, the disciples said to him, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because they understood the scriptures that the Messiah would come, that he'd be rejected, but that then he was going to bring vengeance. There was going to be uh, an acceptable year of the Lord, but then there was going to be a day of vengeance of our God. In, from reading Isaiah, you can't tell that they're separated. Jesus stopped, sat down, and said, this day is this scripture fulfilled. Everything up to the acceptable year of the Lord was fulfilled that day. Here he was now, beginning to preach and do all those things that it said he would do in those verses previous, in Isaiah 61. But what he did not say was, it's time for the vengeance of our God and all the rest of that. So it was logical for them to ask him, is now the time for you to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Now, Jesus reproved, at another time, Jesus reproved the Pharisees for not knowing their seasons. So why is it that he reproved the Pharisees for not knowing the seasons, and yet with these disciples he said you don't need to know? Because there are seasons that have been disclosed and there are seasons that are hidden. And for us to try to disclose what has been hidden is fine, but we should not allow it to take us off the course of what we are called to do in this season. And those seasons that it clearly says no man knows, then we should believe it. And those things that he says, there are secrets that are revealed, we should be seeking him to reveal those secrets. He said, it's not for you to know that which is still in his own authority. But you shall receive power. He put them back on track of what he was trying to explain to them, that they needed to go to Jerusalem. And here's what he said, receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, to the ends of the earth. 
He put them back from where they were wandering to the season that they were in. Brought them back to what they could have missed had they been looking for something that wasn't available. Many believe that the reason Judas did what he did was he was trying to force Jesus to bring to pass the vengeance of God. He was trying to put Jesus in a position where he would bring the wrath of God. But it was not time for that. It was honest, I mean, excuse me, it was understandable that the disciples couldn't understand why he wasn't bringing the vengeance. And they were asking him. Thank goodness they weren't trying to force him. But he explained to them, you don't need to know that, but this you do need to know. It is time for this. It's time for the Holy Spirit to come, like I've been telling you. And Romans 16, and in verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. Now, we're going to look here at a secret that was hidden since God created the world. God is God. He knows the end before the beginning. So even though He created Lucifer as a servant, He already knew that Lucifer was going to sin and fall. And he would be Satan. Even before He created man with the purpose in mind of subduing Satan, He already knew that the first man would sin. So He hid some things. One of them we're going to look at right here. A mystery kept secret since the world began. But now it has been made manifest by the prophetic scriptures. And by the prophetic scriptures it has been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Now who does this say this is being made known to? To all nations. What was the prophecy about the 70 weeks in Daniel? What was, that, what was that that the angel said? It was for. The 70 week prophecy was for Daniel's people and the holy city. This mystery was hidden for all nations. So right now what the apostle is writing is a word for everyone, including Daniel's people. It was hidden from the creation of the world. God already knew He was going to need it. So He hid it where no one, not even Lucifer, could find it. According to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, this was hidden for all nations so that all nations could be obedient to the faith. Are the Jews still God's chosen people? Yep. What he did was he added an addendum so others could come in. And he opened up the door. He stopped the clock on the prophecy to Daniel. He stopped the clock on the timing of those 70 weeks. And at a certain point, when they rejected their king, then he said, fine, we'll stop the clock here. We'll come back to you later. But I've got a little uh, hidden secret here. And from that point on, it became available, as Jesus said in Acts 
chapter 1, verse 8, that it would go out to all the world now. And this mystery was hidden so that all the nations could know how to be obedient to the faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, beginning. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, speaking of the angels and the principalities, and the rulers of this age is the devil's kingdom, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. When they crucified Jesus, when they motivated the crowd, when Satan entered into Judas and he went and betrayed the Lord, when all those events were occurring, they thought, the kingdom of the devil thought, they were winning the battle against God. But one thing they forgot, God is God. And unlike them, he knows everything. And he knows the end before the beginning. So therefore, because he knew their weakness and that they could not see into the future, he hid certain things, which are weapons of his warfare. And he hid this mystery. Had they known it, they knew the scriptures. They saw the promises just like the men of God did. And yet they missed it also. So it's no wonder that the disciples missed it. It was meant to be missed. It was designed to be overlooked by the greatest scholars of any day. But Jesus found it. And he stopped. And he closed the book. And he sat down and he said, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Had the rulers of this age known it, they would have left Jesus alone. Because they didn't, now salvation is available to all the world. Obedience to the faith is, is available to all the nations. Everything that was prophesied will still come to pass. But now there's a whole new world and a whole new season and a whole new time available to a whole new people. Had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. This is the same Spirit that Jesus told his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait there. Because when you received him, you would be witnesses of him in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the earth. The promise. But they could not understand what he was promising them until after they had obeyed. We want understanding. It helps us stay faithful. But understanding is not a prerequisite for obedience. Obedience is a prerequisite for understanding. And once they received the Holy Spirit, more people received it. And in time, the Spirit began to unfold the hidden treasures that were hidden in the Scriptures began to unfold the things that even the devil himself had missed. And it had, they had to be hidden. Or he would not have served the purposes of God and willingly lost the battle against God. By willingly do the one thing that needed to be done in order to redeem all mankind, and that is to crucify, to kill, 
innocent blood. To shed the innocent blood who was faithful to the death on the cross to become a curse for us so he could break every curse off us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9. Having made known, this is past tense now, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. He didn't purpose it. He didn't tell anybody else. He kept it to himself. And he purposed it in himself that in the dispensation, the dispensation in which we are in, the administration of the fullness of times, that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In this administration, in this dispensation, he's showing us the mystery of his will, which he had hidden. It's the hidden wisdom. The mystery of his will in Ephesians 1.9 is the hidden mystery, the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians 2.7. It's the secret mystery in Romans 16.25. And in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2, it says, If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, which I have briefly written already. We just read it. By which when you read, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. What is this great mystery that was hidden? In verse 11 of Ephesians 1 it says, In him we have an inheritance. In verse 6 of Ephesians 3, it says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, partakers with Him. The great mystery is that at a certain point in time when the chosen people of God rejected their Messiah, that God opened up the door for others to make individual covenant with Him through the Son, whether they be Jew, whether they be Gentile, they could become a joint heir with the firstborn and have available to them the entire inheritance of the firstborn Son of God. Something that would be unimaginable by any other means than by the Spirit. Because it would not be possible in any other way for the firstborn's inheritance, the double inheritance, the double portion of the firstborn, that which goes from the Father to the firstborn, could not be divided. It had to be given whole to Him. But in the Spirit... In the day in which we live, by grace and only by grace, it's available for us to share fully in an inheritance of the firstborn son. Something incomprehensible outside of the Spirit and outside of the mystery of God. But yet that's been made available to us. That we could be partakers of the promise only in Christ. That is good news. Amen.